name is Tracy Cook and welcome to the podcast series Victim to Victory. This series gives a voice to those that have overcome obstacles in all forms that dare greatly to share their real stories. Amazing humans that have seen hope and risen above those adversities to become victorious that now support and inspire others to do the same. And today we're giving a voice to Kathy McDaniel. Welcome to Victim to Victory. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's a treat. It's our pleasure. Now, before Kathy tells her story, I've got a few bits of information to share about Kathy because she is a world changer. She's an inspirer. She is an empowerer and she has a greater mission to achieve. And no doubt we'll be hearing bits about that during our interview today on Victim to Victory. And she was actually named number one bestselling author by Amazon for her memoir entitled Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. I love that title and I'd love to um, to know how that came about as well. And it is an inspiring book and it's lessons from a dark near-death experience and how to avoid hell in the afterlife. This is going to be powerful. It's going to be impactful. <laughs> and Kathy, who are you and where does your story start? Well, I'm now a 75-year-old lady, so I have a very long history behind me. I've always been um, a survivor. My uh, parents traveled a lot when we were young, so I was always the new kid in school. So I've had to kind of, even though I'm a shy person, step up on many occasions. Um, it, it turns out that when I finally landed in, well, it was Santa Cruz, California, when I was in high school years. And... I finally started pushing myself and I was very interested in being on the newspaper and then the editor of the, of the school book. So I've always had this love of writing. Um, I got married uh, young and had a, a couple of children. I had a baby who only lived two days and that was probably the biggest disaster that had ever happened to me up until that point and, and impacted me the rest of my life. Um, as I got older, um, I was divorced. I eventually started my own property management company after working for two companies and love that because I got to help people find homes. And uh, a friend of mine, when I was in my mid fifties, who I had been engaged to for seven years and we were still best of friends, but things didn't quite work out in the romance department. He asked me to be a caregiver for him. He found out he had leukemia. And that, that broke my heart thinking about that. He was just so young. And I said, we needed two caregivers to go to Seattle, Washington and go to a research hospital. So I agreed to be a caretaker, one of them, he needed two. So the three of us went up there and what was supposed to be about a two or three month um, procedure turned into about eight or nine months. And the other caregiver broke her foot. So I ended up taking care of him and me and her, and he was in and out of the hospital. He'd be better, he'd be worse. And eventually he died. And uh, I, I was just a wreck, physical, emotional wreck. And I caught a really bad flu that was going around and it knocked me for a loop. I ended up in a, uh, one of those emergency room, small, facilities. But by the time I got there, there was no pulse. So they put me in an ambulance and took me to the hospital. 
and it turned out I had pneumonia and it was slipping into something called ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome. That's usually what kills people when they have pneumonia. It's called complications of, of pneumonia. People who get SARS or even the COVID, that's what happened. It's lung failure. So they said there was nothing more they could do to me while I was awake. Anything more they had to do, I, they needed to put me into a coma. Not only that, but I couldn't hold my oxygen anymore and I was slipping away. My family was all there. Everybody said, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I just remember it was New Year's Eve, 1999. And I remember the ball dropping in Times Square and my dad waving goodbye to me. And the doctor said, don't worry, you won't remember a thing. You're just going to go into this coma. We don't want you pulling your tubes out and you'll, you'll, you know, you'll be fine. You won't remember anything. I thought, oh, okay. So I, I went into this coma. It, it's like going to sleep, but I, I, I woke up somewhere. It was totally black. Uh, there was no sound and I had no idea where I was. Um, I just was afraid to move. I didn't know if I was standing on something or would bump into something. So what evolved, and it's very explicitly explained in my book, but um, the scene turned into this roiling reddish fog. It got very warm. I started hearing screams and moaning. And this horrible voice came out of the fog and said, do you know where you are? That's powerful. I took a wild guess. I said, hell. And this voice just boomed, this hideous laughter. And I turned, I was so frightened and just ran into the darkness. This was hell. Um, it was a, a terrible place. It, it, it seemed like I was there about two years, Tracy. I, I went from one bad situation to another, dealing with demons, dealing with not very nice people. Uh, it was they were testing me. It was it was a terrible experience. And when I finally got out, miraculously, at the end, I, I came to and I didn't know where I was. I was still frightened, and I was in a room full of at first were strangers. And then I thought, oh my gosh, that's my mom, that's my daughter. And I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. And I, I didn't know what was going on. So my daughter comes over and says, mom, you've been in a coma for almost three weeks. We thought we'd lost you. You're back. You're safe. You can't move because you, I've lost all my muscle. What's called muscle memory because I had was down to 86 pounds. And so I was just skin and bone. And I had to learn all over again, just like an infant, how to eat. I couldn't swallow. I forgot how to do that. I couldn't. The only thing I could move, Tracy, was one finger and blink. The rest of that I had to relearn. So I, they got me stabilized. Uh, they had to tie me to a wheelchair because I was like a, a rag doll. I had no muscles. And they would try to, to help me, but they said, you've got to go to a physical rehab facility and um, it's going to take some time. And I worked every day, seven days a week there. I think I got Sundays off. And um, my insurance, uh, every week they would ask for a doctor's report. And if I was not performing at the top of what they expected, they would throw me out of the hospital. 
So I had to really work at it. And it took a full month to be able to pass the tests to get out of there. I had heard the doctors talk when I came out of the coma. They said, we don't know how brain damaged she's going to be. We don't think she'll ever drive a car or work again. So someone's going to have to take care of her. I was always a very independent person. And I thought, if I'm back, I'm going to get my life back in my terms. And I worked and I worked and I worked at it. It took me a full year before I could walk any particular distance. I could drive. Uh, I still, here we are 22 years later, and I still have scarring in my lungs. I've just had two bouts of pneumonia in the last two months. Uh, I have to be very careful of, of my health, but ordinarily I'm very strong. It's just, I've been under a lot of stress. So that's kind of where I am today. The thing that happened from the near-death experience was nobody wanted to, to hear it. My parents didn't want to hear it. My family didn't want to hear it. You know, that I'd been to hell. I was a good Catholic girl. If I could go to hell, anybody could. The doctors said it was my, you know, the, my imagination or a dream. And I says, wait a minute. You told me I wouldn't remember anything in that, that coma. It was impossible, physically impossible. They said, well, we don't know. I went to a therapist. She put PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome on it and says, I don't know how to help you on this. So I fumbled around for 10 years reading every book I could find on near-death experiences and finally found a group called IONS. That's the International Association of Near-Death Studies. They're all over the world. And I ended up at a meeting and their, their, their headquarters was in Seattle, which was only an hour away from me. So I went to several meetings. I was disappointed that I was so mad. Everybody else had all these wonderful, you know, talks with God and angels and paradise. And I was slugging through hell. And I thought, you know, what is going on? Well, it took a long time. And I found several different speakers, one in particular, Nancy Evans Bush, who also had a, a distressing, as <laughs> a euphemism, for uh, a hellish experience. And she is a very intelligent, very well read lady. And she spent many years herself trying to figure out. And the bottom line and her, her estimation is that people that have these distressing near-death experiences are brave souls. They are people that take on this, this experience to learn things and to bring back to others. So it was wonderful to figure out that I was not a damned soul. I was a brave soul. So that put a whole different spin on it. And I have spent the rest of my time now uh, spreading the word in my book and on podcasts and through my group IONS um, that I learned you don't have to go to hell. I learned that God isn't totally forgiving and non-judgmental father. And we are all parts of God's soul. And that the reason I went to hell was I, I was a, a staunch Catholic and I was always taught there was going to be a purgatory for me to go to after I died to take care of my sins, because uh, that's just the way it goes. So I bought that line. I bought that story. I believed it. I lived my life by it. And then I wasn't disappointed. I got to go to hell to purgatory. And but I've learned since then that that was just unnecessary. So that's the thing 
I'm mostly spending my life doing now is just reassuring people we're all, it's all good. Uh, we, we come down here, we do the best we can. And uh, I was taught uh, later on when I was praying, I said, you know, I really, I want to believe all this, but is there anything more you can give me as, as some sort of something I can do positively that to ensure that I will go straight to heaven next time? And I was told over a period of months, I was to be loving and kind, merciful and forgiving, encouraging grateful, non-judgmental, and useful. So I get up every morning with that prayer, and I encourage people to think about that when they start their day, and um, you can't go wrong. So that's that's my story. What a powerful story, and you shared so much in there as well, Kathy, and just that transition from one layer into another. And what did your family think of um, your experience, especially growing up in a Catholic experience? You only kind of touched on that. Did they have any opinions about what that was or did they think it was just something that you kind of dreamt while you're in the coma? What was your family saying about that? At, at first, again, they said, no, you, you, you didn't, didn't have that experience. Or if you did... You know, they, they just couldn't accept that. And so I was left adrift. I had no support. Uh, now, I mean, 22 years later, I still, um, what happens to, I would say, most NDEers, people who have been to heaven, people who have met God, who have seen the other side and the joy and the love and the, uh, the it's, it's bliss and, and, and just it's just overwhelming love. They, they come back and they have a real hard time with religion anymore. Tracy, it's, 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 it's too constrictive. It's got too many rules. It's exclusive rather than inclusive on most, you know, if you're not in our group, you're not going to be saved. I mean, that's not how it really is. And people need to hear that and to understand that. And to, it's just, you're more spiritual after you come back. I guess that's what people say. Um, my family still has problems with it. Here we are all these years later. I will go to church with them, you know, and I don't, I don't put anybody else's beliefs down. This was my experience, and this is what I believe, and I just share that. But um, it's just really hard for me. They, they tippy-toe around it. The best thing that happened was my dad. My dad... Um, he wrote the first chapter of my book. He was the first, uh, he was an atheist. And so in World War II, his plane was shot down over the Philippines and landed upside down and on fire in the middle of a battlefield. And, you know, they say there is no atheists in foxholes. He was dying. And so he said, okay, God, if you can get me out of this, I'll become a Catholic. And miraculously, some soldiers came by, lifted up the plane, pulled him out, and got him into the medics, and somehow he made himself, got himself back to Hawaii, but uh, he was our first, you know, convert, so he was very interested in this, in my, he would listen to me, he read my book, you know, my mom wouldn't read my book, my sister had trouble with a book, uh, but, but when he was dying of COVID in January, um, I could only talk to him on the phone, but we had had very many conversations about dying because he was 97 and he was ready to go. And he was a pilot 
And uh, I told him, dad, you're going to get over there. You're going to be able to fly without a plane, man. I mean, you could go do anything you want. We had lots of very up conversations about that. So when he died, he was, he was ready. And when he was closing his eyes, he was kind of, you know, he was, it was hard to breathe. And, and he was a little concerned, but all of a sudden my mom and and sister and uh, brother-in-law were there. They said he stopped and he looked up toward the ceiling and he got this big smile on his face. They said his face lit up and he closed his eyes and left. And um, later I did have, some people don't believe in mediums and that's okay. There are some very sensitive people out there that can do that. Anyway, she and I were talking about a business deal and she saw my dad and said that he wanted to give me a message that his sister and his mom had come to meet him and that he said that the takeoff was bumpy but I landed safely and that's what a pilot would say so I know he's safe and he's on the other side and and you know when I try and share that story with my my family they still kind of kind of bristle you know a little bit at it so you know What's that? A prophet is never accepted in his own country. Definitely, definitely. (laughs) And we all have our own beliefs. And I know that a lot of our audience will really resonate with your story as well, Kathy, because it does build such a relatability. We're looking for more. We are more. We're more just than just our physical being. We are spiritual. And it's how we connect with it on our own terms that is the differentiator of our belief system and that's okay it's just the acceptance we have to accept people's beliefs and values and I that's why I love your story and I love what your your book is about and I love the way you tell your story because it really takes us on that emotional journey of self-discovery and finding out what that experience meant and not just putting it into a box, not not labeling it and just thinking, what was that all about? You know, and just moving on with life. That obviously was a sign to you to follow something that obviously has given you a higher purpose. And now you're serving the world and inspiring others and connecting with others who have gone through similar or the same experiences. And you can build on that. It shows hope in the world to be world changers and to be thought leaders and to show that there is a better way, a newer way, and it's okay to have your own beliefs. And that's why I really value your story, Kathy. And thank you. what kind of message would you like to leave our audience on today? I think what helps me the most and is to get up every morning and say, dear God, Help me to be loving and kind, merciful, forgiving, encouraging, grateful, non-judgmental, and useful in this world. That is absolutely wonderful. Some great advice from Kathy McDaniel, our very special guest today on Victim to Victory. And thank you very much for being brave to tell your story as well. And we'll be sharing where to connect with you. You are so appreciated. And you can find the Victim to Victory podcast series on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and our Facebook group. Please share, 
subscribe and comment to help be the change that the world needs. Let's build connection just like Kathy showed us to do today. And let me leave you with a message. I'll step into your story, figure out who you are and do it on purpose. Thank you, Kathy. You're appreciated. Thank you. Thank you.